0: So we're in Colossians chapter three, and we technically didn't talk about the last verse in the section we had marked out for last week, so we're technically gonna we're gonna hit verse seventeen real quickly before we hit the the next chunk uh in eighteen through the end of the chapter in the first verse of uh chapter four because the division's a little weird there uh, but chapter seventeen kind of is building on what came before it. So we probably need to read 16 too, and I think that'll be enough to remember our context of where we are at. So if someone would be willing to read Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. All right. Thanks, Israel. And so in 16, you see that idea that that kind of controlling statement, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So, What does it mean to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? I know I'm making you all think first thing. Yeah, I like that. Be hearers and doers of the word. Good. What else? Yes, yeah, study it. Uh, meditate on it. Uh, let it fill you up. Let it fill your mind. Be thinking about it frequently, uh, not just when you walk in here on Sunday morning, not just on Wednesday nights when we talk about it, but throughout the week. Be dwelling on Scripture uh, in your quiet times during the week. Dwell on Scripture and what it means. Uh, dwell on how to apply it to your life. Uh, dwell on what it says and teaches you about God. So all those things are true and many, many more. Uh, and because of this word dwelling richly in us, we're also to teach and admonish one another in wisdom. We're to sing, uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness, uh, to God. And then verse 17 is the part we didn't really touch on, but it's a, it's a great culmination to this whole section here. Uh, and whatever you do, in word or deed, what does that leave out in our lives? Zero. Word and deed covers it all. Anything you do, internally, externally, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you just stop and think about that, that is an incredibly deep statement. Uh, whatever you do, word or deed, it does not matter what you do. You do everything in the name of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> At least not for long. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a very close parallel to this idea. Uh, this is also a very convicting statement. Why would I say that? Why is this a convicting verse? Yeah. Don't. Right. And the implication there for our practical day-to-day living is often we are not doing everything for the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, So often we're doing things for ourselves for uh, reasons that are not very noble or holy. And yet everything we do is to be to Jesus. Um, Yeah, you, you have it? Yeah, and that one's almost a hybrid of what we talked about with the word of Christ dwelling richly and then do everything in the name of Jesus. And you put those together, and yeah, that's a great connection. Uh, Other thoughts on this? All right, so we see what we're to do in word and in deed. Uh, We're to do it all in the name of Jesus. And then what's the final phrase? What else are we to be doing along with that? Yeah, giving thanks. Can you separate that from what we've just talked about? Yeah, I don't think you can. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I don't think you can really give thanks unless you're dwelling on the Word of Christ and doing everything for His glory. If you're not doing those two things, then the chance that you're truly going to be thankful I would say is very, very low, if not impossible. Um, they, this is the necessary outcome of the previous things that we've talked about. Um, giving thanks to God. And notice there's no off season for that. There's no on odd days of the week you give thanks and on even days you don't. Uh, every day throughout your life you're to be giving thanks to God, um, for everything you do. Any thoughts or comments on that? Or on this section before we Start moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said that as a joke, (laughs) but yeah, Uh, there is no, we can't take a time out on giving thanks. Uh, If everything we're doing is to the glory of Jesus or should be, then everything must also produce thanks. Because as Nick pointed out, anything we're able to do is because of his grace anyway. And so you can't do this and not do that. Uh, it's an incomplete uh, work of faith, if you want to term it that way. Other comments or questions about this section? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Well said. Well said. Yeah, have you all ever heard uh, people say something along the line? And it sounds silly, but like you're, you're taking a nap on Sunday. You take a nap to the glory of God. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Something similar to that? And it sounds silly. Right, right. Well, that's not a bad thing. If we're to do everything in word and deed, and it's okay for us to take a nap and rest, then yes, you can rest, you can nap to the glory of God. And that's something that we don't think about. But that applies to a lot of areas of our lives. Uh, We can eat this meal to the glory of God. He's given it to us. We give thanks for it. We can enjoy it. That's not a bad thing. Uh, That can be to the glory of God as we're recognizing that it's from him and for our good. It's a gift for us. And so even that is praising God. Um, So we can't limit this to just things we do in church on Sunday morning or volunteer work or something like that. All right. Anything else? If not, we'll move, move on. All right. So the next section is verses 18 through the first verse of the next chapter. And that's one of those. Uh, just remember the chapters and verse numbers are not part of the original ancient text. That was something that's added in later for our help uh, to, to help us as we read through. And that's where sometimes you find the are a little funny. And that's where that first verse is not part of the next section is definitely part of this 18 through the end of three. So verse one really goes with the end of chapter three. Um, I'm not telling you you need to rewrite your numbers. I'm just telling you that so you know what's going on here. Uh, all right. So what is, do you all have headings on this? What your your heading call this section, just out of curiosity? Rules for Christian households? Anyone have something different? Family work? Okay. I like that. Anything else? Okay. You're my NKJV reference. Come on, Israel. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but uh, households, uh, family life, all that's appropriate. Really what we're getting into is Paul's version of what's called a household code. Has anyone ever heard of a household code? Is that something you all are familiar with? Okay, well, especially in the ancient world at this time, in the Greco-Roman culture, there were codes put together addressing different areas of the family, of the family structure, of really just working life in that world, in that culture, and it would address each group going through. So, you know, fathers, mothers, uh, children, slaves, and go through this list, masters, and tell everybody how it is they're supposed to behave in society. Uh, So rules, in in other words, for how you're to live. It's pretty simple. But what we see here is an example of a very different kind of concept. Uh, So flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I think this is the easiest way to set this up. Let's see. Uh, if someone could read verses 3 through 5 of chapter 10. All right, and that that last phrase in uh, verse uh, 5 is the main point that I want you to see here. I just wanted you to see it in context. But what is the main idea of what we're to do in this world, in the culture around us? What are we to be doing as we uh, fight against that culture? Control what you think about. And even when there's an idea in the world that some of it is on the right track, and yet it's messed up by the fall, what are we to do with that concept. You just read that last phrase. No, the last phrase of verse 5. Or, sorry, right before that, Hannah. I'm sorry. To take it captive, to take it and to redeem it, as it were, to set it right. And so, with these household codes, what we're going to see is that Paul used a very normal idea of the day, something that uh, the Jews would have been very familiar with, the the uh, Gentiles would have been very familiar with. And he takes that pattern to where everybody knows how you use this household code, and he redeems it. He turns around and says this is the biblical understanding of how these roles are supposed to be performed in this society. This is the corrected understanding of how the family should operate, of how masters and slaves should interact, of how we're to deal with one another. And so it's a taking captive what is a good foundation, but what has been messed up by the world and restoring it. That's what this taking captive idea is. And so we get a updated Christian uh, household code. And it's one that's going to conflict uh, or contradict even the ancient Near East norms of the day. Uh, in many ways, this is going to be a radical departure. In other ways, it's going to be very similar. Um, mainly mainly the motivations are going to be a radical departure from the worldly version. Uh, But Paul is taking something from the world and fixing it uh, and giving it to us in this form. All right, now let's talk about uh, the first section we're going to see is about wives and husbands. So, of course, this gets into fun territory that everybody loves to discuss. So let's talk about some major views of how husbands and wives relate to one another. Uh, What are some views on this that y'all are aware of, if you can remember the fancy terminology? Do you know what I'm asking you? Egalitarian? Okay, that's one. Complementarianism? I'm just going to write compliment. I think that's complimentary spelled right. Someone can tell me later. All right, what else? These are the two main ones you see in the Christian world, but these aren't the only views on how this should go. These are the two most common ones, though, in today's church. But there's one other one that's very common today. Y'all know this. Feminism. And, of course, there, you could argue there's some feminist aspects of uh, maybe egalitarianism, but we're not going to get into that just yet. Uh, but then there's one more we need to add to this list, and that was the norm of Paul's day. And I'm just going to put Greco-Roman, oh, whoops. or Greco-Bowman, as I wrote it. Uh, Greco-Roman, so what their views in the day were, because it's kind of the far opposite end of the spectrum of feminism, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, chauvinism would work. Yeah, something along those lines. Uh, Domineering, I don't know, something along those lines. Uh, There's not really a great title for it. That's why I'm just putting Greco Roman because that was the view of the day. All right. So just these. uh, Let's briefly mention each one and then we'll dig into the text. So let's start with feminism. What does feminism teach in terms of husband wife relations? And it's more extreme forms. At least. Yeah, yeah. The woman is ahead. Preston, what do you say? Yeah, the woman is the spirit. Of the, the woman's the boss of the family. Period. Uh, the, the guy's not the boss. He does what the woman says. Okay, that's feminism. Uh, egalitarianism. Equal. Yeah, equal meaning what? Yeah, very well explained. All right, complementarianism. Right. Yeah. Good. All right. Now, Greco-Roman, as I said, is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of feminism. It's uh the basically the husband, the father, makes sure everybody is in submission to him at all times, whatever that means. Uh, And that would be more the Greco-Roman view, and we'll mention that a little bit more as we go. All right, any questions about the big categories? I just want you to have those in mind as we dig in. All right, Uh, let's just start with verse 18 then. Someone could read that. All right. So wives, this is the first category we're addressing. Interesting, we start with the wives and not the husbands here. But wives are the first ones addressed in this household code. And what's the command given to them? Yeah, submit. Okay, so what does it mean to submit? Aha, yes. 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 That's a very important distinction, too. Uh, Some would take this to be to submit to any man around who is a husband, which doesn't really make much sense. That's not what the text is talking about. Right, exactly. Uh, You submit to your husband alone. He is your head, not every man. Um, So this is very specifically for the family unit. Uh, All right, now we need to talk about submit itself. So if you submit to your own husband, what does it mean to submit? Yeah, it's good. What else? He does. And he has. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) Right. Right. That's his job as the head. He gets to mess up. Yes. Yes. Right, right. That, yeah, that's the whole model of, of headship. Uh, and that's something that egalitarianism and complementarianism have in common, is that both are built upon the premise that men and women are created in the image of God equally in value. Uh, now, your roles may be different, but that does not affect your actual value. Um, your value is made in the image of God and his child. Um, and so you're really just talking about roles then that are different, um, now, there's one other detail, so, I mean, we're not getting a fitting in the Lord yet. We'll talk about that in a second. So, Hannah picked out one already to your husband. What is the other detail of this text, that, of that verse, that is very important? Yes, yes, and we'll get to that in just a second. But even before that, there's one other detail we need to catch. Wives. In the Greco-Roman world, no household code addressed wives and said, Submit to your husband. I mean, they might have, but the bigger idea there was husbands, make your wife submissive. This is not a direction to the husband to make the wife submit. That is nowhere in here. It is on the wife to learn to submit. It is a willing action, an active action, voluntarily on her part to learn to submit to the husband. It is something she must do of her own will and of her own accord. Uh, And that was revolutionary and completely against most Greco-Roman household codes. Because most Greco-Roman household codes viewed women as lesser than men. That was just. Yeah, some did property. Yeah. I mean, you could take it that far, uh, depending on who you're looking at. Um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So there was a lesser level in Greco-Roman. And here, there's none of that given. Paul puts it on equal grounds in terms of value and worth. Uh, Wives are the ones responsible to make sure they learn to submit to their husbands. It's not the husband's role. To make her submit. Because if you make somebody submit, they're not submitting, they're being forced into something. That's different. Uh, so it's very important we see that distinction. Are right, any questions about that or comments about that? I know we have going in our Yeah. And we certainly have other passages scripture that the church. a vow that we take. Yep. Right. Right. What is it that Jesus, uh, when he's praying to the Father before the crucifixion, what is it he says to the Father? Yeah, not my will, but your will. Uh, So if this cup can pass from me, then good. But if not, if this is your will, then he's going to submit to the will of the Father in that act. Right. Um, So let's not get into subordinationism or anything like that right now. But uh, submission is not a bad principle. Submission is not a sinful act. Submission is not a lesser act because your Lord learned to submit. Uh, He learned obedience. Uh, He submitted his will to the Father when there was something in his flesh that uh, he knew was going to be very difficult. And yet he submitted to the Father anyway and went to the cross. And so there is a, a, uh, in our culture, submit is pretty much a bad word. But in scripture, submit is not a bad word. It's actually one that has a lot of honor in it. Yeah. Mhm. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And a lot of these commands are really built... Actually, this whole section is built around the fifth commandment. What's the fifth commandment? Right. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. I'll probably butcher at the end of that. But uh, the idea is that in all your relations, you have duties. As children, you have duties to your parents. As parents, you have duties to your children. But just because you're a parent doesn't mean that you aren't underneath someone else's authority. The government, the church, uh, your Lord... <laughs> You're always under authority. There's always some master-servant kind of dynamic where you are required to uh, have duties as the inferior in terms of the relationship, as the superior, and as equals. And if you go through what the Westminster Larger Catechism, I have it written down somewhere, questions uh, 126 through 132, it lays all these out, what these duties are uh, in all these various three positions of equals, superior, or inferior. Uh, And at every level, you have a duty. And all of those duties revolve around serving the Lord in performing these duties. Uh, So nobody escapes submission at some level. Nobody escapes having to obey at some level. Nobody escapes having to, uh, in a sense, rule well at some level. Uh, And the same is true in husbands and wives. Um, We're all under authority. And that carries us well into the last phrase of verse 18, as is fitting in the Lord. So now we get to that. So what does this mean? So in the way that you, okay, yeah, so according to Scripture, submit according to Scripture as is fitting in the Lord in that way. Okay, good. Is there any other way to take this? As to the Lord. So what would that imply? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I need to say three ways then. I was thinking two ways. Yeah, all I've is the third way. (laughs) I can't quite put it under either of the two I've got. Uh, So we already got one of them. You've added one. All right, what else? What's another option? We already talked about it some. What did Christ do? Right. Before the cross, he submitted his will to the father's will. And so you learn to submit because, well, your Lord learned to submit. And so if you want to follow him and honor him, then you need to learn to submit in some ways, too. Uh, And so following that example. uh, So I think I I find it hard to narrow this down to cut out any of those three options. Uh, So I I'm just going to keep all three. Any, Any any other thoughts or ideas on that? All right. One last comment just on the verse. What is your motivation as a wife for submitting to your husband? Pleasing God. Yeah, it's not about pleasing your husband. It's not about looking good in front of the world. Not that either of those things are necessarily bad, done in the right way. But your chief motivation is to the Lord because he's commanded it and you want to please your father in heaven. So you obey and do what he has commanded you to do, which is. Submit to your husbands, even though the husband will not always be worthy of that submission. Nowhere is there any statement in here that as long as you think that he's worthy of it, submit. That is not in here. And there will be no exceptions as you go through for the other people as well. Uh, Now, of course, as is fitting in the Lord, does rule out anything sinful that you're called to submit to. Or not called to, but you're uh, if the husband lead, tries to lead a wife into sin. That is not as is fitting in the Lord. That is where the the line uh, of submission has to stop. You can't go into sin because then you'd be disobeying the greater authority of the Lord. And so, of course, there's that line set up there. Uh, But the motivation and the service are ultimately to Christ, and that's the motivation. Any final comments from you all? Before we pick on the husbands. All right, let's pick on the husbands then. Verse 19, someone could read that. All right. You'll notice these commands are very short. There's not much stated, but what is stated is very rich and very uh, broad. covers a lot. Uh, If we go to Ephesians, uh, we won't go there right now because it would take too much time, but Ephesians 5, towards the latter half, we see another household code, and it's much more expanded. It's a lot more stretched out, and there's some, Incredibly rich theology thrown into those commands here. It's very short and simple and just laid out, you know, one addressee after the other. Uh, so what is the husband required to do? Right. Yeah. So uh, contrary to, you know, the, the last one with wives are, have the duty of submitting, that's anti chauvinism, right? Husbands love your wives That's anti feminism. It's the husband's job. He must work out a, a desire to love his wife. So what does this mean to love the wife? And that's kind of the million-dollar question. Yeah, yeah. And so that's filling it in from the Ephesians 5 section. Yes, very good. Uh, so as Christ loved the church. So it's a sacrificial love. Uh, it's a love that is focused on the other for the sake of building up the other, or completing the other, because that Ephesians passage uh actually multiple places in Ephesians, talks about Christ's work is to equip and build up the church, to gift it with ministers and teachers, uh, to provide all the truth that it needs, the grace, the spirit, that it will be built up and completed so that when Christ returns, the bride will be ready for the wedding day. And so the same concept applies here. Just husbands, fallen men are uh, have a much more difficult time with this command. But we're called to love our wives um, And, of course, the second part with being do not be harsh with them. So you can't say it's loving to try to get your wife, uh, you know, beat her into submission in one way or another, which is what the Greco-Roman culture would have more leaned towards. Uh, That is not an option here. Um, You're to love your wife, and that does not mean being harsh with her and saying that it's out of love. That does not count. yeah yeah yep absolutely so you're the leader, you have to lead, you're responsible, uh but yet you you also have to be gentle and loving um and so again, we there's just a good balancing here um, any other thoughts on this? We talked about verse eighteen a lot longer, I feel like, so y'all help me out. I'll help me talk more on this, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And just men, since just biologically speaking, are normally stronger and larger than women, too. uh, In the sinful heart, the desire might be to, you know, use that to impose yourself to encourage the other person to do what you want. Uh, well, no, that's my way. And you know, you puff up your chest and get big. And again, that's more of a Greco Roman kind of view, or it's just a very sinful view. Um, but yeah, that's not an option. yeah thank you great addition uh yeah there's no uh <laughs> there's no once the wife meets the standard then lover uh far from it uh-huh right and yet isn't it interesting that Paul didn't do that he flips them And I haven't really worked out why he does that. So if any of y'all have ideas on why these two are switched from where I thought it would have been organized, then I'm all ears. Yeah, but I think in either order you get the same message there. I'm not sure that... like. Which it certainly does. <laughs> but it doesn't say if you are loved the way you need to be loved, then right. Conversely, it doesn't say if they submit to you, then you love them. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it is highlighted a little bit by switching it. Maybe that point is highlighted. Respect. Uh huh there is there's not respect Let's sit down talk about the situation you feel the Right. it's communication, it's respect. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with the word respect. Uh, I would argue that's included in love here. Uh, I don't know if you can really love a spouse or a child or, a, you know, master, boss, anything and not respect them. Because if you have no respect for somebody, I'm not sure you really love them. Um, of course, now then we have to get into what does respect really mean? And then that how ha- is in each relationship. That's going to look different. Uh, but I would argue you can't love somebody without some level of respect at the very least, of the respect that God's made them in his image. Um, And so that they're image bearers. Uh, But anyway, that's my argument. But I completely agree with you about respect. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And even in the church, we see failure in all these categories all the time. Pretty much every family, every individual is going to fail to meet up to these standards at one point or another. And that's where we base this on grace, not what the person deserves that we're interacting with. And that is a hard challenge, but that's what Scripture calls us to do. Um, We're not just repaying people equally for how they give to us. Uh, That's not Christian. Uh, That's the world. (laughs) Uh, We're called to be grace givers. Anything else on 18 and 19 and how they relate? Because this is really the nucleus from which everything else, all the rest of the instructions flow. The husband-wife unit, that's the core. All right, now we get to pick on somebody else who's not in the room then. Uh, Verse 20, someone could read that. Finally, we're out of the hot seat. All right. All right. Who's being addressed? The children. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So sometimes we did this and sometimes we did not. Uh, I might have more stories where I did not than rather I did. But anyway, that's that's for another time. Uh, But who's being addressed? Who's being given the command? Parents. Children. So again, this is very, very contrary to the views of the day, uh, to the Greco-Roman households, which is you keep your children in submission. Period. Doesn't matter how big the, the stick, the rod is, or whatever. You hit them until they listen. That's what if that's what you had to do. That's what the Greco-Roman world told you to do, and really most ancient cultures. Uh, and of course, that comes back in different guises in our societies on and off throughout time. And then you get to points now where our culture just says, I oh, just don't ever discipline a child. So. Of course, you go through those extremes. But here, it's not the parents that are addressed. It is the children that are given a command that they must willingly choose to obey, meaning this is really for children to be able to, once they can understand it, then you teach them this. Uh, but what is the uh, command? Yeah, to obey your parents in what? In everything. everything. Yeah, so is this the same word that the wife was commanded towards the husband? It's definitely a different word. Yeah, so what's the difference? Is there a difference? A more chauvinistic view would say there's no difference. But there's two different words, and I can assure you there is a difference. So what's the difference between obey and submit? That's true. That's true. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely correct. The motivation remains the same. It's for God. That's who you're really thinking about as you obey your parents as a child. Uh, But obedience is a much stronger word than submission. Submission is you are agreeing to defer in the final call. You're agreeing to defer in this decision to the covenant head. For the children, you don't get a question of this submission. You are to obey. I mean, really, the rest of that phrase helps you. Your parents in everything. You are under their charge. You're under their rules. You obey them. This is much stronger and more comprehensive, I'll say, than submission. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, the whole point of a husband and wife working things through and making decisions, the husband has the final word, but a husband that doesn't seek his wife's advice or feelings or whatever in his decisions is a fool. And I don't think he's loving his wife either. Uh, You don't go back and forth like that with the children. Now, as they get older, you can give them some leeway and start to get feedback. I'm not saying that that's bad. Uh, But especially when they're younger, they listen to the parents. They don't have an idea. They don't have a a role in the decision-making of the household. The wife does. The children do not. Uh, And so that's probably the biggest difference. Um, submission does not mean that the wife doesn't have a say. Obedience means that the children don't really have much of a say. The, the, the parents make the final decision, not the kids. Um, again, that doesn't mean they can't give feedback as they get older and more mature. But anyway. All right, anything else on this uh, verse? All right, well, just keep in mind, it's the children that are commanded, obey your parents. Uh, and then verse 21 kind of provides... Uh, the negative warning, if you will, like don't make your children obey. Teach them to obey, if you want to put it that way. Uh, if someone could read verse 21. Yeah. So now we're, we're talking about kids still and that parent-child relationship. But now we're specifically talking to fathers. Again, consider the culture in which this was given. And there's a command not to provoke your children. So what would it mean to provoke your children? Yes, it would be like hypercritical. Right, so it may not be perfect or up to your standards or something, but they did what they were capable of doing well at their level or age, whatever. Right, right. So, yeah, so being hypercritical, uh, picking on things or or expecting more of them than their age even allows, than their mental maturity. Right, right. Yeah, that's what uh, one of my pastors in the back, I guess it was Mike Thompson maybe. Yeah, it was actually his wife that told me, told Hannah and I this more than anything. Uh, But it was, you don't punish kids for being kids. You punish kids when they're acting foolish, (laughs) When they're acting in a way that they know better, there's things that they just can't comprehend yet and don't really grasp. And you can't punish them for that. You punish them when they are capable of understanding and obeying this and they know better and they still choose to disobey. That's what you punish. Uh, And I think this is kind of going along with that idea, too. You can't force your children into true obedience. Obedience has to come from the heart if it's true obedience. And so children have to be commanded to obey. And fathers have to be commanded not to get overly harsh or angry with them. I think is really what this is boiling down to. Um, Not to anger your children by being overly harsh when you don't need to be or expecting more out of them than they're capable of actually doing. And I think that the the big litmus test is the second half of the verse. What's the litmus test for whether or not you're being overly harsh with them? Yeah. 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 Other thoughts. Yeah. And what, what is it that you really don't want to discourage them or I'm sorry what was the phraseology there? lose heart. What is it that we're not wanting them to lose heart in, implying that their heart can be in it? Obedience Obedience to you and, more importantly, obedience for the sake of Christ. Christ. And we don't want to discourage them in either one of those things. We want to encourage and grow that sense of obedience and desire to honor the parents and, ultimately, Christ. And so that's really what you're not wanting to damage. So if any of our parenting... uh, is causing them to be disheartened in that then we need to examine our parenting in that and our discipline um, right yeah Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we want to I mean, it's the same when even when we talk about this church and the ministry to the kids in the various Sunday school, Wednesday nights, whatever. What is our goal in all of this training with the kids and the teaching and the lessons and take home homework and our interactions with them? Yes, I mean, but better adults within the context of Christianity, we want to make or well, we can't make them, but we can do everything. Uh, we can, with the gifts that we've been given and grace and prayer, to try to train up godly kids who want to love the Lord. Who don't, as soon as they're out from under their parents' house, say, you know what? I hated that. I'm going another direction. Now we can't control their hearts, but we don't want them to give. We don't want to give them reasons to hate the faith. We don't want to give them reasons to, so they can throw out excuses of why they walked away later. We want to give them every chance and every effort to where they're going to love the Lord because we guided them in that, and pointed them towards Christ over and over and over. Our goal is not just to whip these kids into shape and hope they behave well on Sunday morning. It's better to have a room full of screaming four, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds who love the Lord down the road than it is to have a bunch who are perfectly behaved but then walk away five years later. We want to be discipling our kids um, as parents and as a church. Because they're the next generation of leaders in this church. Churches die if there are not believing children coming up and remaining in the faith and continuing to walk with the Lord. If we lose that, we've lost the church. Hmm. And that's what we want. And I think we are doing a very good job of that already. And so the encouragement then is to continue and to remember the big picture. We don't just want well-behaved kids. We want kids who love Christ. That's the big picture in the long run. All right. Anything else on this verse or the verses before just parent-child relationship? All right, we have a few minutes left if that clock is right. I'm going to try to not let us out like five minutes late like I did last week. Hmm. Sorry. Seven minutes. So here's the question then, because we're moving into a whole new category of, <laughs> of relationship here. We're moving away from uh, husband, wives, and children to the, in the ancient world, the extended family, which would be the slaves, uh, slaves and masters, and that's the rest of the section. And there's some wonderful statements in there that I really don't want to shortchange. Uh, and that might be shocking to you to think of a master-slave or master-servant section and be, what, there's good stuff in there? Fantastic stuff in there. Uh, and I don't want us to skip through that quickly. So anything else on the family nucleus Husband, wife, children, if not, we're going to just, I'm going to give you all extra time to talk and chat. And then we'll pick up and finish the rest of the section next week. All right, let me close this in prayer then. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us instructions for how to live with one another, uh, for how to love our spouses, our children, for how to interact within the church. Uh, that you have given us ways in which we can uh, know how to uh, give our best effort to please you. Not because we're trying to earn anything, uh, but because of all the grace that you have bestowed, uh, we want to please you. We want you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, Lord, because of that, we ask that you would help us in these ways. uh, And whatever our roles are uh, as parents, grandparents, uh, siblings, uh, whatever that, are, teachers even, Uh, Whatever our relationships are, we pray that you would allow us to show abundant grace uh, to those around us, uh, that we would seek to fulfill these qualities that are laid out in this text, um, and that your church would be built up and yourself glorified through it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.